In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Beloved, the word for meditation in the Hebrew Bible means to chew the cud. Here I hope to present some ruminations, musings on themes that might require us to chew some ideas around a bit and ponder, make sense, perhaps challenge us. It's fitting at this start of Lent that we start with this topic, namely, the priesthood of Christ. For Lent is not giving up chocolate, it's not giving up Coke, it's not eating expensive lobster instead of a burger, nor is it merely going to church more and attending services, although that's a component. If that's what Lent's for, we've conformed to the world's idea of Lent and not the historic Orthodox view. So let's go to the beginning, to Genesis. And that is what Genesis literally is. It's the book of origins. And let's examine a fundamental theme which forms the basis of an Orthodox worldview and likewise forms the basis of our orthopraxy, our right action in this world. First, mankind was created to be uncreated and to be a priest. Jesus, the Logos of God, Logos of John chapter 1, Breathe into the mouth of Adam, our first father. As the scripture says in our Logos, Logos in Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The Spirit of God entered into him and animated Adam. He was there by a share of divine life, according to Gregory Palamas. God's life is obviously uncreated, and his grace has always existed. And Adam was given a share in that uncreated life, and thus Adam and his posterity were created to be uncreated. Now, St. Maximus, a 7th century theologian, said we were created to be like Melchizedek. Now, who is Melchizedek? Well, in Genesis we read in chapter 14 of the capture of Abram's nephew, Lot, and how Abram went and delivered him from the Sodomites. After his deliverance, Adam um, Abram meets an enigmatic personage, Melchizedek, whose name means, according to Paul's letter to the Hebrews chapter 7, King of Peace and King of Righteousness. Abram then receives bread and wine from the priest and ties to Melchizedek. Melchizedek resembled uh, Jesus Christ. Melchizedek was a priest, i.e. he offered to God bread and wine, uniting the earthly elements with the heavenly by God, sanctifying them by his grace. In fact, the word for priest is iarevs, which um, is a denominative of the verb iarevo, meaning to set apart, to sanctify. So a priest is one who sanctifies, makes holy. Secondly, Melchizedek was without father and without mother, literally without genealogy. In a sense, he was uncreated with no earthly parentage. Adam resembled Melchizedek in these two ways. He was to offer to God his labor, his love, the bread and wine to God, 
really the fruit of his labors, and therefore bring God's blessing. For whatever is united to God is blessed and in a better state than it was previously. And secondly, Adam was to be uncreated, to abide in that state and inherit eternal life. Adam had no earthly father and was, in, was literally aeneologos, without genealogy, as Melchizedek was. Now, let's look practically at these two facets of Adam's vocation and see how they relate to us. Well, first, we are called to become uncreated. Our human life is not in complete subjection to God. It has not been penetrated completely by the grace of God. The mortality we bear has not been swallowed up of life, like St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians chapter 15. And practically, what is un what does becoming uncreated mean? Well, the seed of grace is planted within us at baptism. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, this soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. The other illustration used in the scripture is the new man, Jesus Christ. The uncreated comes to dwell in us. His seed is placed within us and the new man is born within us. In fact, John tells us this in his letter. He says, whoever is born of God cannot sin because he is born of God and his seed remains in him. The sperma, the logos of God dwells within us by baptism. Christ is formed within us, as St. Paul tells the Galatians, my, chapter 4, verse 19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. We are called to allow this life within us to sanctify us and mingle with our nature while not destroying it. It is very similar to osmosis, the process of absorption. The material being absorbed is still separate, but becomes quite nearly indistinguishable from what it is being mixed with. In this way, we can say with Paul, quite literally, who said in Galatians 2.21 and 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. One last reference. We'll tie this together for us, and then we'll look at the dogmatic theology behind this. We are called to be uncreated, to have a mortality swallowed up of life. It is an osmosis without a transmutation or transformation into the other. Christ's spirit is eternal. We partake of his divine spirit and become one with him. Again, as Paul states to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, What know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, says he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Now, at this point, someone could demur that we are bordering into speculative mysticism or heresy, but we are ever guarded by the sacred canons of the church canons which are literally measuring sticks by which we ascertain truth. One such canonical dogmatic formulation of the church is the definition of the Council of Chalcedon. And here's what the definition says. It's a translation from the original Greek. We then, following the Holy Fathers with 
all, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul, of body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood. And all things like unto us without sin begotten before of, of all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. In these latter days for us according to our salvation born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God according to the manhood. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures. Now notice this, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the division of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved, and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and same Son, and only begotten God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Now, in our union with God, similarly, the nature of man is preserved, and the divine nature as separate yet one. Lastly, let's look at the iconography of the church to understand this teaching. Every icon of Christ has him depicted with his glory. On, he who is. The I Am of the Old Testament possesses his own uncreated glory, and thus he is uniquely depicted. The saints, who have become uncreated, partake of this glory, and thus depicted with the glory around them. This is the fulfillment of John 17, where Jesus said, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the word and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, having looked at the scripture, the iconography of the church, the canonical dogmatic definition, we practically ask, how does this happen in our life? How do we become uncreated and sanctified? And that's the point of our next installment, becoming priests, becoming instruments of grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May we never fail to remember this grace is a call to the uncreated life. As Jesus said, glorify them with my own glory. May our Lent be blessed, and may we ever draw closer to our uncreated and eternal God. Amen. <laughs>